Hi beauties, welcome to the Beyond Beauty Project with your host Bridget Burrick-Brown, the show that's redefining the meaning of beauty. Enjoy, and we're so happy to have you part of the conversation. Hi everybody, and welcome to the Beyond Beauty Project. I am your host, Bridget, and today I am here with Michelle Waugh. Michelle, originally from Vancouver, Canada, is a New York designer She creates beautiful coats and jackets. Her designs are elevated and refined. They're classic, but modern, and they are playful and fun. I love your collections. The fabrics and the fit, I feel, are so gorgeous. Thank you. You're welcome. And I don't just say this because Michelle is also my friend. I met her when our girls were in preschool And I'm just so excited to share our conversation with you guys today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm excited to actually make one of our conversations live because we talk a lot and about a lot of different things. Yeah. So this is is fun. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. So (laughs) I'm going to ask you my very first question that I ask everyone. We'll get Mm -hmm. right to it. I want to know how you would describe being a beautiful person. I think beauty for me is so much more than what is seen. It's also what is felt within you. And being beautiful to me is really about feeling comfortable and finding inner peace in your own skin. Um, It's about that confidence, that happiness, and that empowerment. And when, when, when that's all going on inside of you, it just has this way of radiating externally. So for me, it's really a state of mind. It starts from inside and then the rest follows, you know, that expression, like she's wearing it on her face. It's just so true. Like whatever's going on inside of you, it will, it will show externally. It's so true. Whether you're having a bad day or a good day, or you're in a good place in your life or. Yeah. You can read Mm -hmm. it on people. You can really read it on people. So the importance of just protecting you know, that, that confidence inside of you and that empowerment is so important for your internal and external beauty. Yeah. I love that. We're going to go into that a little bit more too, as we talk, but I love that. That's really beautiful. Um, so tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a designer and what Mm -hmm. gave you, I know you worked at Dior for a while, but like, what gave you the guts, I guess, to just be like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I was, okay, so I was definitely that kid that knew from a young age that this is what I wanted to do. Um, When I was younger, at the time, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand what like the fashion industry was or that this was even a job. And I remember my first trip, I went to, my grandmother had this thing that when you turn the age of like your date of birth, so for me, I was born on June 12th, the year I turned 12, she brought you somewhere for a weekend. And I was living in Toronto at the time. Yeah. And my, I chose to go to New York city and I had an aunt that was living in the city. Um, and so she brought me to to New York city was my first time to the United States. And I just remember landing there and at 12 and just being so impressionable by all of it and feeling this like surge of energy and power. And, um, my aunt brought us to Bergdorf Goodman. And for me coming from like small town, like outside Toronto and like my parents weren't like, aren't fancy. (laughs) Like I was really like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. And it was my first taste of like, wow, you can create beautiful things and like sell them. And, you know, in a store like this, and it just, it was so impressionable to me. And it, it, that's kind of where the seed was like planted. And then really um, starting to make my own things. The first thing, but you know, the first thing I ever made was a coat. And, um, I, I moved to New York city, like right after high school. And I think we're, you know, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but, um, I was, I was too scared to go to art school and we'll talk about how that affected me later. Yeah. I was, it was almost like, it felt so surreal to actually become like a, a fashion designer that I felt like I couldn't put like all my eggs in the same basket. So I ended up doing you know, working for Dior 
full-time and going to school full-time, which the university of Fordham, where I was studying political science and middle East studies. And I was like, okay, if my fashion dream fails, like I'm going to go into law. Like it was just so ridiculous. It was like, that's my security blanket. Do you feel like that's like you had the imposter syndrome back then? I had it. I had it back. I well, back then at that moment, I think I was just like a little scared of the risk of being like, okay, well, what if I, I knew I wanted to live in New York city. I was like, what if I, you know, go to art school and like, I don't know. I kind of like grew up with this notion and it didn't come from my parents. I don't know where I got it from, but it was kind of like, if you go to art school, it's going to be really hard for you to, to make money and to be able to support Mm. yourself. And I had that. And I was like, so I got to figure out like a safe thing to be doing on the side. But when I really knew every ounce of me wanted to, you know, be in fashion and be designing clothing. So it was, it was self-inflicted definitely at the time. But then when I, when the career with work started taking off and designing and all that stuff, then I got imposter syndrome because I hadn't gone to art school. And it wasn't until like a mentor of mine at the time, and and she still is today, who's also a, a designer. She was just like, this is, this is so ridiculous. This thing you have about art school and what you're experiencing is imposter syndrome. And that was the first time I ever heard that term. Do you have any tips for little entrepreneurs out there wanting to start their own, I guess, anything, any business? I think um, there's, there's two things that, that, and this would work for like, whether you're starting, you know, starting a new business or you're already in one and you're trying to expand and get to the next, you know, the next level or grow or pivot or whatnot. The first thing I would say is like, really focus on value and not tasks. It's very Mm. easy. Like I know for me, I could write a list of 20 things to do for the day and I'll do all 20, but all 20 of them didn't really contribute to my bottom line. Mm. So, you know, and it's like a false sense of productivity and it's like a false sense of like, Oh, look at me. I'm being so efficient. Like I wrote Mm. my list out, but none of the things actually like really matter on the list. So it's like, focus on the value, like put your, you know, your, your money, your time, your resources, your energy on your bottom line, because if it doesn't, if it doesn't affect your bottom line, it's most likely a waste of your time or a waste of your resources. And there's so many people going nowhere fast. And that's like, you know, it's like, take the time. It's not the 20 things you have to do. It's like, what are like the three things? that if you're going to start off are going to really bring intrinsic value to your business. Yes. Yes. And focus on that. Yeah. And this, the second thing would really be, and this is where this, this, I wish I was so much better at initially. I, I really learned this the hard way was know your strengths, but like really be honest with yourself about what your weaknesses are. Oh. And when you figured that out, hire either the right employee or the right contractor, get the right knowledge, the right information to basically fill in those gaps. It is not productive for you to think, well, I'll just learn it all and I'll just yeah. do it all. It's a waste of your time. Is there anything that really shook your confidence starting out? And how I- did you sort of like get through that? I think this is going back to, um, I think this is going back to like the imposter syndrome. Mine was, mine was like the art school thing. Um, yeah. it, really, it shook my, so I, I, you know, I was proving like I had the talent. I was able to, you know, come up with a concept and a vision and create it and produce it and make it. I was able to sell it. I was able to get really big stores behind the idea of it and pick up the line and all of those things. And I was still, I just still doubted my abilities. I still doubted, like, did I belong Mm, in the industry? But then you really know it's imposter syndrome when you, you can't even accept easily the accomplishments. So you're Uh, like doubting being able to belong here. And then you're also like having a hard time accepting when you're actually performing and, and, you know, succeeding And so that, that becomes like, that's like full on imposter syndrome and you know how to deal with that and work through it. I had to separate my feeling from fact. And, and Mm. this is where my mentor like helped me a lot. And instead of seeing myself like 
doubting my belonging in the industry as being inept, you know, in my line of work, it was more like, well, maybe this is a result of being on the receiving end of these kind of societal constructs that are telling me what, you know, what intelligence and aptitude is in this, in this line of work. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And that's when it started to shift for me, but I'm also a person like if I, if there's a problem, I need a name for it. So once my mentor was like, it's imposter syndrome. Then I was like, okay, well, what the hell, how do we solve that? Like, I need, I need to label my problem. (laughs) It's so interesting that like you were performing and accomplishment and you still didn't, you still couldn't see it. No, I, it's not that I couldn't see it. I was almost like, oh, like, when am I going to be like uncovered as a fraud? Like, uh, even though you're doing, I'm like, oh my God, like it was always that uh, it was always like yeah. not belonging. And then even if I'm doing well, it felt there was something always that felt fraudy because yes. I hadn't gone to art school, which is so like, just shows you how, how limiting a belief can be. Yeah, you know, over something. So, you know, now, you know, obviously like I'm older, things happen and you look back and you're just like, Jesus. But, yeah. you know, but we're you really, um, you really want to fit into society too. You want to be able yeah. to say like, I have that degree. So, yeah. And it's like also the respect of like your other peers in the industry. Like, listen, people work really hard to build brands and to be designers yeah. and they go to, you know, arts and art school is like really tough and it's very yeah. demanding and it's, it's so personal and emotional and you know, like mm-hmm. I, like that, that needs also, it's, you know, the utmost credit it deserves. Do you think when people have good style, some of it's innate? I do. I do think some of, some of it is, I mean, like, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's again, like, you know, clothing and style is very creative and, you yep. know, some people can be more creative than others, but it's also very personal, but yeah. I do feel um, yeah, there's a certain, you know, style icons out there that it's just not, it's not taught at some point. It's just like, yeah, it's pouring out of these, uh, out of somebody. Totally. It's like magic. Yeah. Like they just, yeah. and it, like you said, it looks so effortless. It looks so effortless. It's just like the way someone would paint something, you know, versus someone who doesn't know how to paint. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's so it's, true. It's, yeah. It's its own like kind of creative outlet thing. I definitely think it's a, a form of expression. I think for everybody, you know, um, like I know for you, you're a very big writer. So like, that's one way that you express yourself. And yeah. I think people, it can be cooking or it can be architecture. Um, clothing definitely is. I mean, it's a way of telling the world and people around you who you are without saying anything. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it's, what do you want to, what do you want to put out there? And some, like for me, designing coats, I mean, some people you'll, you'll interact in your life and they'll only have seen you in a coat, you know, like, it's just, it's really, it says a lot about the person. And, you know, I think it makes you, it can make you, I think clothing also makes you feel good. Like when you look good, you feel good. You know, when you feel good, you feel empowered when you're empowered, you're like doing things. Yeah. And I, you know, like, you I know confident. Yep. Yeah. And you don't, when you're not feeling good, you know, it's, it, your clothing affects your day. It affects it really how you're going to, it, it does. And like, it sounds so superficial, but it affects your day because it's affecting how you're feeling inside. Yes. And it's you know, so it's true. Yeah. Or like restrictive clothing or itchy clothing, or you're, you're, it's too tight on your, it's too, it's like it all, it affects the way you're going to carry yourself throughout the day. Yeah. Where do you get your inspirations for your designs? That is mo again, I would exactly. say, I would say a lot of it is from, a lot of it is from like my, my French heritage for sure. Okay. And then I would say nature, vintage, like I vintage. love, I love looking at vintage, like all our puffers, like that all came from like hours of looking at vintage ski wear, like vintage ski wear is like the chicest thing. <laughs> so, That's so fun. Yeah. It's like, so I would say a lot of it, a lot of it comes from vintage and then honestly, like becoming a mom and like mom life definitely started, you know, changing the way I was thinking about design because I just need this practicality in my clothing. You know, I want it to look good and I want it, but I just do, I don't want to negate any practicality when I'm putting it together. To say when I put your coats on and just go to pick up, people always comment on them. And I feel like underneath the coat could be like a hot mess, but like I put that coat on and I'm like, 
Hey, I'm ready it's for like pickup. Your armor. You know. Yeah. Wait, give us some good mom gear tips. It's like, I think it's really about wearing, um, like my, my thing is like, how can I wear clothing that is very non-restrictive? Like, and I, I, I can almost feel like I'm in a pajama or like a sweat outfit, but I'm Ellie. So for example, like this thing I'm wearing right now, this is yes. like our silk trenches. Like I wear these all the time yeah. and they feel very comfortable. I feel like I'm literally in a pajama, but like, it looks what, yes. put together. Refined. Yes. It looks refined. Sure. Knit dresses are great. A great thing yeah. you can do or warm. Yeah. They're cozy. Um, you know, like wrap dresses, like just things like that. Do you have staple pieces? Yeah, I would say there's like certain pieces that I would, I mean, I guess they change a little bit, but for example, like I definitely would have um, like high-waisted um, kind of straight cut denim jean. Um, okay. Like that's like, I'll always have in my closet, a knit dress I'll always have. I feel it's like so practical for so many things. Um, a crisp white, like button down shirt, but I always like it oversized. So again, mm. like you can move everywhere. You're not. Um, uh, brown suede boots. Brown suede boots go with everything, people. It goes with black. It goes with navy. It goes with beige. I really like love that. Yeah, uh, I'm really into body suits, not to wear on their own, but I feel like it gives me this like support under my clothing. And I love turtlenecks, but I get so hot, so I love the like sleeveless turtleneck body suits that I can like layer with a bunch of pieces, but my arms are like naked under my blazers or like my coats or whatever. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Cause I get too, I love the look of a turtleneck, but I get too hot in them. Like yes. I can't wear them in my house. Like I can't, you know, like, so when I'm indoors, I like having the bodysuit turtleneck that are like sleeveless. And then you can throw like a sweater or a blazer yeah. or something cute. It's, I it's, love you can that. Really layer it up. How would you define your style? I think it's, um, I definitely think it's a little bit effortless in the sense that like it's easy to put on, you know, easy to wear. There's like a casualness to it. I think um, it's a little bit more classic at times, but with, you know, a bit of a twist on, on a classic piece. I think it's like, it's like finding the balance between looking dressed up, but also looking a little laid back. Totally. Um, That's an art. Yeah. But that being said, I'm also like, very into like a big you know maximalist moment <laughs> and where you're like kind of decked out but yeah, or, and yeah, I also, yeah, yeah. yeah and I do love I love playfulness so a lot of you know women certain women want to feel sexy or they want to feel strong I definitely have a bit of like I want to feel fun so like how am I going to do that is like with color and prints and like changing my fit a little bit having a fit yeah. that's like a little less conventional yes 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 do you have any ultimate styling tips that anyone could use? It's so funny because like when I first started working in fashion, like you would learn all, the, especially with styling, you would learn like, and you've probably seen this in like your modeling career. Like someone would tell you one tip and you're like, that's life changing. Like it's yes. like the slightest little thing. Like the good ones are like really good. Um, I would say one of them is like, choose, like choose which skin you're exposing strategically. So mm-hmm. if you want it to be cleavage, cover your legs. Okay. If you want it to be all about your legs, cover your cleavage. I think it's like when it's really a, like that one piece you're exposing, it can feel super sexy, but it's totally. still very sophisticated and refined. I love that. Yeah. Like if you're going boobs out, like wear something longer on the bottom. And yes. if you're going to like really be all about legs and you're like in a total mini and you're really showing off the legs, like cover the cleavage and it yeah. just like it really elevates that and it keeps it classy people it keeps it classy <laughs> and then another another good tip is like if you're you know if you're shopping at like you know like a, a zara or something a little more fast fashion and you get you know a piece with like buttons on it a lot of the time the buttons can tend to make your piece look like you know it was less expensive than your lunch so what you can do is like switch out your buttons. All tailors have buttons. Go and like put in like a horn button, put in something a little more elevated. It will completely change the way a like Zara cardigan will look or whatnot. It'll all of a sudden look like incredible. And it's such an easy, cheap fix. That's such a good idea. It just really changes, changes pieces. 
Wow. I love that idea. Change, Change your, your buttons. buttons. Yeah. Upgrade your buttons and never buy a boring coat. No, buy a Michelle Wall coat. Buy a Michelle That yeah, hot, that like pink one. I'm like dying for that pink <laughs> one. Okay. I want to transition a little bit into, um, being inclusive in the fashion world. Mm. How do you approach that being a designer? Okay. So who, okay. So I think in, I think the fashion industry still has a really long way to go when it comes to inclusion. And definitely, I think, um, you know, the next big, the next big step in, you know, kind of conscious consumerism is going to be just like radical inclusion. And I think we're going down that road. I think we're still really far. I think, you know, historically, uh, even when we were going with different skin tones and body types and different faces, we were, it was the industry in general and media and fashion, they were still doing it where it was like palatable for a white consumer. Yes. So it totally. wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it, it, it hasn't been this like radical inclusion mm-hmm. that we're, of where we need to go to. And I mean, you came from like the modeling background, like you're, it's like, there's still this, the, the inclusive inclusion they're showing now is still very homogenous in a totally. way. Totally. So I think there's like a lot of, of movement there. And, you know, listen, like I grew up, I grew up being a white girl. I don't, I can only imagine what it feels like to be a girl and to look at the media and to look into the fashion industry and not seeing anybody that looks like you. And I think if you relate to many different identities or many different cultures, you're still stuck like grabbing that one sliver of part of you that is shown in the media and the fashion industry and holding on to that, but you're never seeing your wholeness. You're never seeing your whole self. And I think that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And it goes from past race. It's also with different able-bodied people. It's just like, you know, you're holding on. So there's so much, there's so much that still needs to be done there. And, you know, for me, it's, it's definitely been a huge learning curve for myself um, in how to, to be much more inclusive in my own brand and, and learning. And there's such a great, um, Maya Angelou, uh, quote where it's do the best you can until you know better. And when you know, when you know better, do better. And that's where I, I, I definitely need to show up and do that within my own brand and, and, and much more than what I've been doing. And that is something that I'm committing myself to, but we have a long way to go. We We have a long way to go. Yeah. do. Do you ever see women be like really hard on themselves when they're trying on the coats? Uh, yeah, like all the time, all the you time. Do. This is actually, this is actually kind of an, uh, this is a question where I've caught myself in, in, in doing this too. But I think also there's maybe a bit of a different dynamic when the, uh, the client, like as the designer, I'm, I'm working with the client directly, but yeah. almost every single time without fail, I will, you know, recommend a coat to the client. And before she'll try it on, she'll immediately apologize for like the six things that are about to go wrong because of her body when she puts this coat on. And that's just like hands down almost every single time without fail. Like, oh, this will never look good on me because I'm like so short. My hips are really wide and like I have big boobs and like, or, oh, this color doesn't really work well because like my skin has all these problems. You know, it's like, it's, there's, it's immediate. And, um, And coats are pretty forgiving. So I can only imagine when someone's going into like try on a swimsuit. Oh my God. Like, you know, it's like, that's, or jeans. And like during COVID, I, you know, signed up for this group online of this like fitness group. It's called, it's so simple. It's a girlfriend of mine who launched it, Rachel Sasserdotti out of London. And it was like this whole WhatsApp program. And every week we had to send pictures of ourselves in like our underwear and our bra. Oh, and wow. I, that's pretty, I realized, I realized too, like, I was like, wow, like I've never even sent like a nude pic in my life. Like Rachel was <laughs> setting like the race. I'm like, I'm behind the time. You're like, you're welcome. For yeah. my <laughs> but then I realized every time I sent the email to her, I was doing that. So I was writing mm. in the email, like, oh God, so sorry. Like, you're going to have to look at this and like, t-, you know, it was like right away. And it was, even though it was like in a self-deprecating kind of humor way, 
it was for me, it it's felt, still it self-deprecating. Yeah. And, and, and I, I spoke with Rachel about that. She was like, you don't understand how sad it is. The comments that I get along with the pictures that are sent to me. Wow. It's just, you know, it's, 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 it's so, and I've witnessed that with the coats and, you know, myself, I did it to myself when I was in this program. Why do you think women do that? I think it's from our society. Our outward appearance is extremely consequential. And if it doesn't look a certain way, you're going to pay in different ways, whether you find love or whether you have a career or whether you have like, it, it, it becomes a consequence to your outcomes. And that's what society does. That is, and they don't that do that is for men. So true. You don't do it for men. So we have a lot of boxes we still have to fit into Yeah, to be yeah. accepted. I feel like you're such an independent person. Where did that come from? I, okay. Well, I think it's so funny because I don't think I've ever had this conversation with my own mom, but if she watches this, she'll be like, yeah. Um, I, (laughs) um, I definitely come from like a line of matriarchs. Like both of my grandmothers worked, ran their household. I mean, grandmother on my mom's side bought their family home. Like both of my grandmothers were like large and in charge. Like, and then my mom was a stay at home mom, but she was always like, working she had a lot of authority in her household and my I grew up with a father who like respected her so much like she was still making the big decisions you know and and so I I I saw that growing up and it wasn't until a little later in my life where I realized I actually remember this specific moment and this is going to probably make sound like you know I was living under a rock but I was 19 I got into New York City and a boy that I had studied abroad with a couple of years prior, got a job with like a private equity firm and he was working on a research project and I was working on work stuff and we were at his apartment. And I remember on his research project, he had this like graph that was like depicting um, certain segments of minorities in whatever research he was doing. And one of the like minority slivers was women. And I remember being, oh, why, why do you have women under minority? And he was like, because women are considered a minority in this, like in research and in like, and I was crazy. I was like 19. I was like, wait, what? Like, it was like the first time, like it had hit me, Yeah, you know? And I was, I mean, talk about blooming late to the party, but like, I remember being like, wow. And it made me feel different. It made me feel different on the spot, but I didn't, I didn't have so much of that growing up. I had very strong women around me. I had women, you know, in control and, and, you know, calling the shots and, you know, um, well, you didn't, you were shocked because you didn't feel like that I and didn't you didn't come that. from that. Right. No, I didn't come from that at all. So I was really surprised when, yeah. when I had, when I saw that and that so was your mom really affected how you feel about yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I yeah. listen, I think that's the biggest stress like we even have as mothers because yeah, you know, no, what, no matter what, somewhere, someday our kid's going to be on a therapist's couch saying my mom. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really hard not to. But it's so Please don't do it. Mom, yeah, your mom has like a big, it, you know, they have a big influence on you. Such, and yeah. one of the things she taught me the most was like everything. And, you know, she was like, everything that you need in your life is already in you. Aww. Like, don't look for it in other places. No, it's not, it's not, you know, no one else can do it for you. Like, you already have all of your tools. She taught you, know? you that. Yeah. And my parents, I were, love that. They were, they were very, um, they were very good at like encouraging us to like take risks. Like they were not, they weren't afraid of like the world for us. You know, it was very much like take risks, go out, like go do things, try like, it, try it. Like, you know, it wasn't like, no, you got to like stay back and you got to like, I got to protect you. And I got to Like, there was none of that. It yeah. was really like, you got everything you need. Go, you know? Wow. So, and that self, that self, like sufficient, what is the word? Like self-sufficient. Yeah. Um, it, it, that is like the most empowering thing when you know, you could be plopped down anywhere in the world and you can figure your stuff out. And you can take care of yourself and you can take care of yourself. Like that's like 90% of the battle. Do you, I always ask people where they think confidence comes from. 
would you say that that's part of it? I mean, I think it comes from self-sufficiency hundred percent. Yeah. Like actually the New York times, um, our mutual friend Tracy sent this to me, but the New York times just did this article about addiction. Yes, I read it. Did you read it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it resonated with me so well was like a big, you know, one of the big kind of, you know, I guess like commonalities with an addiction is this complete lack of self-efficiency and unable to rely on yourself and unable to trust in your abilities and in your skill set, you know, to be able to, to get things done. But, um, you, that that was something that I I was definitely taught growing up. And I, I, I have this conversation with, with, um, with Steve and my husband. And one of the things we did, because he read the article as well. And one of the things we did afterwards, the next day is we had the girls wake up and like, you should try this scar. It was like so incredible how they felt, but we had them wake up and we said, okay, you guys are cooking brunch for us. Stop. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you're going to make us brunch and we would like bacon and eggs. But they cooked, they made scrambled eggs and like Charlie made her bacon and they set up the table and they ate. And I swear to God, they looked like they were nine feet tall. Like they were just like so happy. And I was like, that's what that is. It's feeling like you can do things on your own and you can complete them. And they were proud of themselves. They were so proud. And I think subconsciously, that's what I I got from my parents growing up or a lot of these little moments where they weren't over me all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and it allows you to, and I mean, I know for you, you left home so young and like, you have to have that in you or you better find it. Yeah. Because you're just not, you're not going to make it. I'm curious what things you and your husband are trying to instill in your daughters. Um, Well, I think the biggest takeaway is one, like one of the things that I like that, that was definitely passed down to me was have your own life and others will join. Mm. So like do your own thing and others will join. And like, I, and I've talked to you about this so many times. Um, I love like Glennon Doyle and I think she's got this beautiful way with words and putting, and, and she's been, I mean, especially if you have like daughters, she's just like incredible. Incredible. And she says this thing in, in, in her latest book. And it's really about, I I think I I like actually have this and I just, can I just read it to you? Because I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's basically what I'm trying to hold on to. I want them to never lose themselves when we lose ourselves the world loses its way. We do not need more selfless women. We need right now women who have decided to detox themselves so completely of the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. I want them to know to never stay in a room, in a conversation, in a relationship, or an institution that requires them to abandon themselves. They are human beings. Their birthright is to remain fully human. So they get to be everything, loud, quiet, smart, careful, ambitious, ravenous, creative, joyful, big, angry. They are allowed to take up real space on this earth. And I I think, yeah, when I read those words, it was just like, that is exactly what I want for them. It's so beautiful because we are, we are taught to be such good girls and people pleasers and to be liked and to fit in. And I think that with girls and like, my God, I just like, we got to also be teaching all of this to boys. Like I don't have sons, but like all of these teachings work both ways. You know, boys have a different set of expectations on them totally. and a different way of being boys. hundred percent. That has to change so drastically if we're going to be solving anything else when it comes to the way girls are treated and violence and all those things. Absolutely. If we don't heal our boys, we don't heal our girls. I guess we talked about this in the beginning too. Like we have such a ways to go to like, mm-hmm. so they're not constantly feeling like they have to fit into boxes. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had this conversation before. I think it's also like, there's one thing when you're dealing from certain pressures from like the media and fashion and, and, and so forth. And then it becomes like a whole other level when you're dealing from those pressures from your, your like direct family yeah you know and like you're like living in that and you're and it's not only about beauty it's also about like what we're expecting from girls and what a lot of families expect from their daughters 
at certain points in their lives. And it becomes like you're, you're getting bombarded from like society and media and fashion and everything else. And then you're like coming home to your safe place where you're then getting all of your parents' fears and worries about where they think you should be and how you should be yeah. acting as a girl. And, you know, so I just think it's, it's that becomes, if we can at least alleviate the like directly at home stuff, yeah. Um, you know, we can, we can make it a little bit better. Um, I've heard you say a few times, we have to teach our girls that their lives don't begin and end with a man. Oh, I know. Tell I'm like, I'm like, not that because I, know, I love when you talk about that. <laughs> I know that's not very popular when like the husbands are around and I'm like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think w- what I, what I mean by that and, and with that being said, like I'm happily married, but I'm about to like yes. really go on this, but you know, women in general, we talk about timelines from like a very young age yeah. and where, you know, really it's, it's really about, we really do. And it's like, where should you be in your career? Like at what age are you going to meet the one? Like, when should you get married? What's the smart age to have kids? And yes. like, it's, everything's just like time, 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 time. And the truth is, is there's so much pressure in, um, for women to not only have it all, but when they're supposed to have it all. So yeah. it's already hard getting it all. Now you're supposed to do it in age appropriate oh, fashion so or like, or manners and the pressure to marry, especially is so strong, especially for women in their, in their twenties and their thirties. Yes. And guess what? Timelines never work out. Yeah. So you know, they work out just as much as a birth plan does. <laughs> so, yep. so it's like, you're, you're, they're most likely not going to work out. So what does it cause? It causes lack in confidence. It causes disappointment. Yep. It causes anxiety, anxiety, stress, because you're not shame because you're not shame. where you're supposed to be. Yeah. You're, 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 you're not, you're not like, it's not happening the way it was anticipated for you by everyone around you. Yeah. And um so yeah, I think I think the the pressures of marriage is super super detrimental on women who are just are, are literally could be non-distracted by that and really focused on who they want to be, what they want to do, yeah. how they want to live, you know, and it's organically organically becoming that. And like it's 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 your entire all of your formative years are consumed by this. Yeah. Those are your most important years of growth. And you're 23 in college worried about and not the other thing is it not only does it affect your happiness and your well-being, it ends up affecting your relationships. Like living in New York City, and I don't know if it was even exacerbated because you know it's an expensive city to live in and people are like, Oh my god, I need like a boyfriend or whatever. I think it also it it ruins your the relationships you're even in. I mean, you go on a first date and you're like pressure you put so much pressure and you're sizing up the guy being like, could I be married to him? You're like literally having noodles on date, date one. You don't even know yeah. if you could survive a Broadway show with this guy, you know? Yes. And I think it's just so much, there's just so much emphasis on yeah. the importance of marriage. And it's, it, it, unfortunately it happens in one of the most crucial formative decades of your life. Yeah. And, and it's a in big distraction. Yeah. It's a big distraction. And I think now too, relationships can look so different. You know, a lot of people can have amazing, fulfilling relationships with friends. They can have yeah. it with, you know, their work or they can have it with family. Like, I think it just, the idea that it can only be like a man yes. or this, that will complete you and do, I think it's just, I think it causes much more harm than good. Yeah. I much mean, more. um, really getting to know yourself is so important too, before you get married, really, really knowing yourself. Yeah. And you change so much in that time, like so much, you know, and And it's such a fun time. It's such a fun time. If you, if you allow yourself to like, Mm -hmm. to, to be that. And that, again, a lot of that also, not only does it come from, you know, society, what everyone else around you is doing, but for a lot of people that's coming within their homes. Okay. I want to know, what feeling and being beautiful means to you now that you're a mother? So I think it's really, um, again, it's going back to what we were talking about, the inward stuff. It's really feeling um, for them too. I mean, obviously for myself, but for them, it's really feeling so comfortable in my skin 
and yeah. so trustworthy of my um of my abilities what I'm able to you know what I'm able to achieve with them I think it's it's so much about feeling beautiful with the conversations I'm having with them about love yeah. and compassion and humanity and whatever you know we can be be talking about and it's like feeling beautiful because I feel like I'm living a life that's like authentic and intentional even though I have them with me yeah and that that is something I try to hold on to. And it's, it's, it's hard to hold on to that sometimes. So keeping, keeping yourself, keeping yourself um, while still being a mom. Yeah. And being, and it sounds like that. showing up. I was going to say, and showing up for them. Right. Yeah. And like another great thing that, you know, like Glennon Doyle, like mentions in her book that really resonated with me specifically about this was um, don't like, you know, don't be a martyr. Like, don't show that unconditional love is martyrdom. Means you give up everything. Show them that unconditional love is holding on to you and be a model. Be that model, you know? And the thing too is like, if if Chloe grew up one day and it was the martyr that is expected of her, you know, of what people feel is the ultimate expression of unconditional love, as a mother, that would make me sad. Yeah. So why, why am I going to do it to myself? Yeah. You know, it's really being an example for them. Try to be. Yeah. And finding beauty in in the way that you, you know, you see them get stronger, have bigger feelings or can manage. I mean, God feelings with girls. It's, it's big and it's broad, it's exposed and it's always on, but like having the conversations and, and just seeing them become these little people. I find a lot of beauty in that. It makes me feel beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay, are you ready for my Beyond Beauty round? Yes. Okay. First one, favorite designers. Ooh, okay. So, okay, for every day kind of wear, I love um, Staud, S-T-A-U-D. Okay. I love Nanushka. Okay. Um, and Ghani. Those are like really fun you know, kind of just contemporary everyday clothing. Okay. Love that stuff. Um, for jeans, I love still here. I've told you about them like so many times. I have, really I love, love them. them. I love them yeah. too now. Yeah. They're like my, my go-to denim. Um, what else do I, oh, I've discovered sister Jane for like fun party dresses. They're Ooh. a little bit out there. Um, but, but they're fun. What else are like my faves? Obviously, um, like our coats, Obviously, love our coats. Yeah. Yes. But I think those, and then I love Kate at uh, K H A I T E. I love like, her too. Oh, it's so nice. It's a little pricier, but it's, it's so beautiful. And you'll, you'll oh, have those pieces forever. Totally yeah. agree. All right. Yeah. Style icon or icons. Oh my God. This is like so tough. Um, mm. style icons. I think I've always liked, I've always liked very like, like women who were very like, kind of like strong and, and, and they also were like great dressers. So like one, I mean, this is going to sound so cliche, but one is like Amal Clooney. <laughs> like, I yeah. just like love that she's this crazy yeah. like, lawyer, like just like, like always stylish and put together. And um, like, she would be, she would be like a, a good example, like uh, someone that I, I find yeah. is very powerful in who she is and, and. And what and she, also, you know, what she yep. puts out. Good style as well. Um, yeah. what's one piece of advice you got from your mother or grandmother? Oh, I would say would be, yeah, I would say was, you know, have your own life. Others will join. Yeah. And that it. goes to the marriage thing. Have yeah. your own life, do your own things. Like, you know, have all these amazing experiences and someone notices that they notice yeah. somebody who's well in their skin and the good ones notice who's yeah. well in their skin and, and who has goals and ambitions going to have an exciting life or, you know, and th- it doesn't mean just with career, it can be anything. It could be, you know, you yeah. could be a mom, but you're always like working on little projects and you're always being creative with your family mm-hmm. and like, you know, with yourself and taking care of yourself. I think, you know, being true be, to yourself. be that and people will come. Yeah. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> that's so tough I love asking people this oh my god I'm so curious at what people say to that dead or alive I feel I'm like so cliche with these things no I love it everyone I feel like I would do 
I don't know. I like literally feel like I would do Oprah and that's super cliche, but I just like, I'm so obsessed. I call myself the Oprah generation. I know. I like every day I came home from school. Like my mom was like, sit down kids. I'm like, watch this. (laughs) Oh, every day. I wish she was still on. Oh my God. I I might sit down with Oprah too. Can I come to your dinner? Yes. Yes. I, don't know. I love her. I love everything about her. Glennon Doyle would be another great one. Yeah. I know. I love all those, those women like the Brene Brown and Brene I don't know. I just Brown. think just like someone I could sit with and have like a bottle of wine with and just walk away. Be like, wow, that was a lot. That was, yeah. learned a lot. What's always in your purse product wise? Uh, okay. Well, Elta MD sunscreen. Cause I literally burn in like one second. I so, love their sunscreen too. Yep. Yeah. Always have that. And then I have, I always have dry lips. So I have this Laneige that I discovered lip mask. You're supposed mm. to only put it on at night. It's pink. I literally have Is it, it pink or blue. Time. I love that one. Yes. Oh my God. I have it all the time. I use it as like a day, like, like a regular lip balm. Oh, um, good idea. Those, oh my God. I'm so obsessed with it, but I also am like very like and I always have uh, tea bags. I'm like a big tea person. So yeah, so I always have like tea bags in my bag. Love that. What's something you're really grateful for right now? My health. My Aww, health. Yeah. yeah. Without that, without that, I don't know. You can't do anything. It's so hard. Yeah. It's, it's so, so hard. Okay. How do you stay committed to being healthy and fit in your busy life? being a designer, being a mom, being a wife, like what's your, what are your go-tos? Well, I think we've, I think there was like, listen, there's a lot of times they fall off. Yeah. You know, first thing is, um, I think if I'm not committed to, you know, my, you know, working out or having restful sleep or having the physical activity or, you know, eating nutritious meals, the first thing that I kind of like look into is that I feel there's, there's an issue going on in my life at that moment. Like you don't go from like doing all of your like rituals and taking all this great care of yourself to just stopping for no reason. Yeah. So normally when I feel like I'm like not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I really need to take the time to be like, okay, was there like a sudden change in my life that Mm -hmm. that is happening right now? Am I feeling overwhelmed by work or personal commitments? Am I having like an issue in my relationship? Am I having like, you know, or, or am I just feeling down? Like what's causing me to, to retract and not make the time for myself? Cause there's always a reason. Yeah. And then step one is kind of like finding what the problem is and then trying to fix that problem, trying to come up with some proactive resolution to that problem. And sometimes we can't control everything. So then it becomes about, okay, to just like shift my mind and perspective about my attitude towards this problem. So I can get back to taking care of myself, Yeah, you know, but, and then it's like always, I'm very organized with my time. Like yes. that's something, that's something I'm very, very good at. I'm very good at scheduling out my time, but when I do fully fall off track, I don't go back in the next day being like, I'm going to do like a freaking Ironman and I'm going to like, eat kale all day and I'm gonna like drink juice like you know like it's just like it really starts with like okay tonight I'm gonna go to sleep early yep I might drink some water drink a little water and tomorrow morning I'm gonna go for a walk yeah and that's how it'll start it's not zero to hero like all of a sudden but I think also like getting rid of that that. guilt and shame when we're not a hundred percent doing all of our rituals and crystals or God knows what we're doing. It's like, let's do that 60% of the time Mm -hmm. and show a little compassion to ourselves. The other, I like the 60, usually hear the 80, 20. Yeah. Even that's a little steep for me. (laughs) Well, you know what? I just watched, um, eat, pray, love. Oh, I know you're saying I love that movie. And, and I, I think I was telling you this, but they have that. I don't know what it is. And it's, Italian, but it's the sweetness of doing nothing. And I felt so busy lately. And it just like, when they said that, I just was like, I felt like I could take a breath. Like I'm allowed to do nothing. You're allowed to do nothing. Busy. And you said this on our walk. You were like, busy does not mean success. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. We think it does. And we think if we're not going a thousand miles an hour, 
well, we're falling, we're falling off the track. Even this morning, I, I always get up and I make a coffee and then I try to sit down with my computer. I do like some journaling, some gratitude mm-hmm. to that. And I was really tired and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to close my computer and mm-hmm. I'm going to sit with my coffee and I'm going to yeah. do nothing. And do nothing. And I'm yeah. going to just be in this house that like no one's awake yet besides me and it's quiet. And it was amazing. I, I know we it. need to be like more European that way. Like not do like a thousand things before breakfast. Yeah, totally. Like wake up and like enjoy our morning. Last question. If you could go back in time and tell your younger self something about confidence, mm. self-acceptance, beauty, anything, what would you would, tell her? Kind of what we were just talking about. There's no such thing as perfection. I would say, mm. you know, celebrate your progress. Yeah. Claim your stage and practice gratitude. Claim your stage. Claim your stage. Oh, I yeah. Love take that. space. That's what take I would space. say. I love yeah. It. Thank you so much for being here today. This is so great. This is Thank so fun. You. And then this is like our conversations we have all the time. So it was nice to, to share it with everyone else. Yeah. You can find Michelle at Instagram at Michelle Waugh. NY. You can also shop her collections at Saks, Goop, Matches Fashion, and her own e-commerce at michellewaugh.com. And I will see you guys all again soon. Thanks for joining us. Show it off every curve, every part, yeah. Cause I'm strong and I love the skin I'm in every shape. Thank you for joining another Beyond Beauty Project conversation. At the end of the day, we're all in this together. Don't forget to check out our website at www.beyondbeautyproject.com, where you can find all of our socials. And don't be shy. Bridget wants to hear from you. So feel free to send a DM or an email to let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear about next. See you beauties on the next Beyond Beauty Project. Catch us next Wednesday. This podcast episode is designed to be for informational and discussion purposes only. I am not a doctor and I'm not trained as a medical provider or counselor. I do not provide medical care or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition on this podcast. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal medical condition. Do not disregard recommended medical advice or treatment or delay in seeking professional medical advice because of information or content obtained from this podcast. If you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, please contact your own healthcare provider promptly. For urgent medical needs, please contact your healthcare provider or call 911 immediately.